You know, a couple of things I want to make you aware of just in the life of our community. Um, April 18th, well, let me start back at April 4th is Easter. We're going to be having Easter services here, of course, and we're going to have a great, amazing celebration. So you're going to want to try and bring your friends and neighbors to be a part of that. Um, the week, the Wednesday before, or the week before that, we're going to walk the neighborhood after church, and hanging door hangers on people's doors, inviting them to come celebrate Easter with us. You'll hear a little bit more about that in the future, but we'll be doing that on Palm Sunday, and then on Easter Sunday we'll have a, a great celebration here. On April 18th, though, we'll be back in Good Home Park, so we won't be meeting in this place. We meet down off 23rd and Robinson, and uh, that's become a great kind of central piece to who we are as a community. So mark your calendars with uh, with those days. Um, this morning we're kind of continuing as we've been in the past eight weeks in this What I Believe series. We've talked about all kinds of things as we attempted to rediscover the basics of Christian theology in life. We've looked at sin, we've looked at the Bible, we've looked at grace, we've looked at redemption, we've looked at baptism, we've looked at communion, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about a lot of things that are central to our understanding and theology as Christians. And so this morning, I thought we'd, we'd take a look at this idea of faith. You know, faith is perhaps one of the most misunderstood terms, I think, in all of Christian theology. In fact, how we define the word faith has actually split the church more than once. It's actually a really, really important word. So I thought this morning, as long as we're talking about theology, and as long as we're talking about the study and nature of God, and things of of the nature of God, that we need to talk about this word, faith. Because culture will tell you that faith is this sort of perpetual optimism. That faith is just that, that part of us that needs to keep our heads up. And we've all had that that well-meaning family member or co-worker when things aren't going good that just says, keep the faith or keep faith. And what they're really saying is keep your head up, even in the direst of circumstances, the most difficult of circumstances, just be optimistic and things will, well, they're bound to get better. And so from a cultural standpoint, faith really is this, it's tied to this optimism. Well, you know, my faith is important to me. We hear that a lot. But what really is that? Is faith really just this, this sort of optimism, this hope that if we just keep looking at the bright side, then things are going to be okay? When I was in the uh, fourth grade for the first time, I did the fourth grade twice. Uh, my, mom, my dad says I was red-shirted for athletic reasons. My mom said I had a sitting still problem. I think it was probably somewhere in the middle. But I did it twice. And my first attempt at the fourth grade was also the first, my first attempt at summer camp. Now, I don't know if, if you remember your summer camp experiences, but I had a great experience at summer camp, just not this year, that year, the fourth grade year, was my nightmare year. In fact, I should probably be in therapy for some of the things that, that, that went on at camp. But I went to this camp outside of Austin called Friday Mountain. Outside of Austin, Texas, in the Hill Country, there's this camp called Friday Mountain. I can talk about it now because it no longer exists. But Friday Mountain was built on this, this name because there was this giant plateau in the Texas Hill Country. Called, they called it Friday Mountain. So the camp was named after this giant hill. I was in the fourth grade. I don't know how old you are in the fourth grade, you know, 11 or 10 or, or, or whatever. I was about that age. And I, and I was kind of young because I did fourth grade twice. It was my first t- time at it. And so my parents sent me off to camp with a lot of several of my friends, and I had kind of begged them to go. I really wanted to go. My parents were a little bit apprehensive, but they went ahead and sent me. And we get there, and, and it turns out that we're the youngest grades. So we're like the youngest kids there, and everybody else goes all up to 18, and we're 10 or whatever. 
And, and it turns out that about day three, they begin to tell you that all new campers have to go through the initiation. And the initiation, come to find out, is that they take you, or they tell you they take you, put you in a barrel, and roll you down Friday Mountain. When you make it to the bottom, then you're officially like in. You're like, you're like in the Friday Mountain Club forever. And so they begin to tell you this, that on June 26th, I remember the date because I'm going to need therapy, they're going to, they're going to roll you down. That was the date. They're going to roll you down Friday Mountain in a barrel, all the new kids. So your counselors are like, man, you guys, I mean, we've had some kids die before. And I'm going, what? So I start writing letters home. My mom saved them all in the scrapbook. I really wish she lived here because I'd have brought it. But they're in a scrapbook and there's like 15 of them. And they start off by saying, hey, mom, I hope you're doing well because I'm not. You know, I know. And there were things like, I know you can't see this while I'm writing it, but the tears are staining the page. You know, I mean, I'm writing these horrific things, but we're not allowed to talk about it. So I'm going, just come get me before June 26th. So my mom, she's, I've come to find out later, she's calling their director trying to figure out what's going on. He's got no idea. He's taking me for several drives in the camp truck going, what's happening? I mean, what's going on? Nothing, you know, I didn't want to talk about it because I knew that that might make it worse. And so, but all the while I'm writing these letters home saying, if you loved me at all, you'd send, you'd send silly putty and come pick me up or, you know, send a box of cookies and then come get me. And I was like, if you cared for me as your oldest son at all. Now, these are real live letters. My mom and I still laugh about it. But they were horrified at the time. They didn't know what was going on. But my dad, being kind of the, the man's man that he was, was like, he wanted to go. He can ride it out. You know, he's not, he's going to be just fine. I didn't pay $1,500 to go get him halfway through. And so, you know, he's like, stick it out. My mom's crying. And, and I'm writing letters. And I have these ones I'm like, Mom, this letter is secret. I'm sorry if it's hard to write. I'm writing it in the dark under my pillow. The counselors have told me not to write home anymore. <laughs> But I'm like, you have to come and get me. So the 26th of, uh, of June comes, and it's a, it's a nighttime deal, and they, they put us in this long line. I mean, this is horrific. And they march us, all the new campers, in a single-file line, up these trails to the top of Friday Mountain, the whole time going, this is it, they're going to roll you down. And they take these older campers, and they put them by the side of the road next to these fake graves where the kids that have died before are now resting. And the guys are going, oh, I sure love Timmy. He was such a good camper. Too bad he died in the barrel accident. And I know in my heart that they wouldn't bury those kids there, but it didn't matter. At that point in time, I was ballistic. I was just like, oh, I'm going to die. And and the, the counselor that was just on some level, some kind of compassionate was walking beside me going, hey, it's going to be okay. Just trust. Just trust us. Just trust. Just have a little faith. And I started thinking to myself, in what? I mean, you're going to roll me down the mountain in a barrel. I'm supposed to trust the barrel? Am I trusting you? You've been telling me that kids are dying. I go, I don't like this process at all. And I am hysterical. So they get us to the top, and the, 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 the kind of guy that's in charge of the whole show just keeps saying, just have faith, just trust, it'll be okay. And I remember thinking, trust what? You, you bunch of liars with your dying kids, I'm not trusting you or anything about this process. Well, they, they take each individual kid, and of course, I'm last. I'm the last one remaining. And they walk you two by, or they walk you with two other people over to this edge of this thing, and then you hear a lot of screaming, and that's it. And I am mortified that I'm going to die that night in this barrel. And so sure enough, they walk you back there, and the council the whole time, they're going, just Trust, just trust. And I'm going, trust what? You're about to kill me. 
And so they take you to this barrel, literally, and they put you in it. And by that time, I am out of control. Like, I am screaming and kicking and fighting. And they shove you in this barrel. I mean, this I should file a lawsuit. They shove you in this barrel. And then they roll you like, it couldn't have been three feet. And I'm screaming and kicking, and they stop, and everybody's around this little clearing, and they're all clapping and laughing, and now you're in. And I was, I'm wiping tears, going, I knew that was what it was going to be like. I didn't think y'all were really going to roll me down the barrel. And my mom kept all the letters, because from that day on, it's like totally different. It's like, my horse's name is Sugar Baby, and today I met a girl at the dance, and it's like da-da-da-da-da. And because I survived. I survived uh, Friday Mountain. But I remember thinking to myself, when they kept saying, just trust, my natural reaction was to trust what? I can't just trust. That doesn't make any sense. You have to tell me. Can I trust you? Then tell me the truth. And, and you know, from a biblical perspective, faith is, is really attached to an object. It correlates to an object that we put our faith or our trust or our belief into. Faith doesn't just exist as this thing that, that we kind of exhibit a little bit of optimism towards and everything's going to work out. From a biblical perspective, faith is, is important because it's what we put our faith or belief into. The Greek word for faith is pistuo. It actually translates as to believe or to have faith or even to trust. Now in our English language, we have several words for that. But that word pistuo really captures all three of those. In fact, in the New Testament, when we see the word believe, it's usually that word pistuo, which is also the word faith. It means all those things. In fact, there's a really kind of interesting, and interesting to me, maybe not interesting to anybody else, sort of grammatical sentence structure that only takes place in New Testament Greek. It doesn't take place in classical Greek, in mythology and those kind of things, in terms of how Greek language was written classically, but it takes place with the New Testament writers. And it's, it's really most commonly used, and it's the verb, pistuo, attached to a preposition, epi or ice, which is in the accusative case, long grammar lesson, which basically means to have faith into or onto. And it's used together. And it's a, it's a New Testament thing. In other words, the New Testament writers were, were putting this new idea of having faith and trust into something that I can't just believe. I have to believe upon or into something. I can't just have faith. I have to have faith in or upon something. And that's what that word pistuo really carries with it. Now for a lot of us that doesn't sound that important. But really at the time it's pretty radical. And, it, and it, what it does is it underlines this importance of the fact that you and I, when we talk about the word faith, it has to be attached to something. From a biblical perspective, our faith is attached to something. So then it begs the question, what is it that you and I have faith or belief in? What do we have faith or believe in? Because if it has to have an object attached to it, then what is it? Well, when it's used in the Greek, it's usually attached to the name of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, or the nature or character of God, almost always. But for you and I, what is our faith attached to? A couple of things before we dive into our text this morning that I want to make mention about faith, just by way of saying and getting out of the way. <clears throat> the first is this. Faith is foremost about salvation. The idea of faith in the Bible is foremost about salvation. Acts chapter 16 is really interesting. It's uh, Paul and Silas were on a mission, 
kind of on a missionary journey and they were thrown in jail because they had pretty much made the entire town mad for a lot of reasons. It seems to happen to Paul. They were thrown in jail. And at night, after they had been beaten and flogged, they were in this prison and they were singing hymns and songs to God and they were praying at midnight. And it says that a violent earthquake shook and it shook the foundations of the prison so strongly that all the prison doors flew open. And the jailer was kind of woken up by this by this earthquake. And when he realized that all the jail doors were open, the Bible tells us in Acts 16 that he tries to kill himself. And Paul stops him and says, hey, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Because the jailer would have been responsible for the prisoner's escape. So he was going to take his own life. And Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. It says the jailer called for the lights. In other words, people with torches, because he couldn't flip a switch, came running in. And, and he throws himself at the feet of Paul and Silas. And he says these words. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul looks at him and he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the sentence structure there is pistio epi, believe into or upon Jesus Christ. It's the same word that's used for faith. Have faith in Jesus Christ. See, from a biblical perspective, faith is attached to salvation. You know that the jailer's question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's response, believe or put your faith into Jesus Christ, is actually still the answer to that question. What must I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus Christ. That's a complete answer. But faith is not about just trusting in tough circumstances God. Faith is first and foremost biblically about salvation. That I put my hope and my trust and my belief in this Jesus Christ. That he will redeem me from my sin. The second thing is that faith is never idle. So faith is foremost about Jesus Christ. The second thing is that faith is never idle. Martin Luther said that this faith is a lively thing. J.I. Packer, who's a modern reformed theologian, puts it this way. He says, we're saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves us is never alone. It's always working. What that means is that when we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, it compels us to live differently. James talks about it when he says, in the same way, faith without action or work is dead. It's not saying that by faith we're not saved. It's saying that by authentic, true trust in Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ compels us to live in such a way that becomes radically different. That my faith compels me to live. Compels me to trust. Faith is never an idle thing. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Faith is a lively action that's attached to our very trust and salvation in Jesus Christ. So with those two things in mind, the question really is, well, then how do we live this? And, and you can imagine that the Bible is full of examples and stories and things about faith. I mean, Hebrews chapter 11 is the sort of classic kind of what is faith and, and, and what does it look like in the lives of people. But I picked something really different this morning that we would glance into from a faith perspective. And really the only explanation as to why I picked it is because I just really believe the Lord wants us to talk about it. And so I picked a, a chapter or a section of text out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. If not, Mike's going to pass a few out if you need one. Uh, David's going to pass them out on this side and, and we'll hand you a Bible. I like everybody to use a Bible because um, I want you to know that I'm not making this stuff up. 
And I want you to get in the habit of using yours. I mean, if you don't have a Bible, we will get you one. Take one of these. Keep it forever. If you uh, have one, bring it. I mean, we're gonna, I can promise you that of all the things we're going to do here on a Sunday morning, we are always going to dive into the Word. So no one's going to laugh at you for bringing your Bible. I bring mine every week. It's hard to get cooler than I am. So um, there it is. We've already prayed, so let's just sort of dive into uh, our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if I can... Uh, find it here in my own second Corinthians chapter four. Now, what's interesting about this, this text is that Paul is actually writing to the church in Corinth and he's explaining several things, but he's explaining that the testimony that they're sharing about Jesus is really not coming from them. And this is that piece of text where he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all surpassing greatness is not from us. We're just earthen vessels, kind of of makeshift use. I mean, really, we, we've got nothing good to offer. We're just vessels that are made of dirt that God uses to hold this incredible truth to share with you. And so that's really what he's testifying to. He's testifying to this gospel that's bigger than he is or bigger than the apostles are. And we're going to pick up kind of in the middle of that dialogue at verse 13. 2 Corinthians 13, going down just through 18. <clears throat> It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we do not know, uh, because we know the one who has raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal." Paul kind of of starts this little last section of this chapter off by saying this. It's written that I believed, therefore I have spoken. It's actually a reference to Psalm 116 verse 10 where the psalmist says, Because I've trusted God, I'm able to call upon his name and speak to you. And Paul actually pulls that from that context to say, In this same spirit of faith, Because I have trusted and put my belief in Jesus Christ, I am speaking to you. So in that same spirit that says, I trust the Lord has empowered me to speak to you. Now it's important that we understand that because what Paul is essentially saying is that my hope and my trust is in Jesus. And that empowers me to live differently, to speak these things, these bold truths. I mean, Paul says that I have trusted Jesus. He goes on that section to say, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us with Christ. See, Paul had put his hope and trust in Jesus, this belief. He had put it in Christ. Pistual. He had put it into Jesus. And because that trust was placed in Christ, it has caused him to say these things. To even get put in prison for saying these things. It's important because we have to understand that first and foremost, our belief begins with understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord. And second, it compels us to live in a different way. 
Our faith compels us to live differently. Paul's saying, this is not of me. Because I believe in Jesus, that same faith is causing me to speak. And for us, it's really very similar. We put our hope in Jesus Christ and that same faith causes me to live in a different way. It causes me to live by faith. A faith that says what I should normally be freaked out about, I'm not so freaked out about. I have a trust that, that God is at work in my life in a way that I can't explain. And that somehow, some way, God will prevail. Which is essentially what Paul's saying. He's saying this pistule, this faith that I've placed in Jesus Christ is compelling me to speak. And he says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You know, if if we really were honest, it wouldn't be that hard for us to say it's easy to lose heart. I mean, you turn on the news for a moment, you, wherever you get your news from, um, it's tragedy upon tragedy. You know, there's, there's things going on in this world that cause us to just go, what is happening? There's wars and violence and kidnappings and deaths and things. It's easy to lose heart. I mean, financially, maybe some of us have been struck recently. It would be really easy to lose heart. And I don't know how people live without the hope of Christ. Because to me it's a miserable existence to think about. Is really this it? To just breathe here on this planet. Watching all these things happen around us. I mean it's the small to the big. I mean this morning we went to pick up the trailer and someone's cut our safety chains trying to take our things that we set up here with. It's easy just to kind of go, why? And Paul says, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. I mean, if if we look at it from a surely physical standpoint, I mean, the truth is, is that we're slowly dying. I mean, if we're really honest, we're just slowly dying. I am no longer 21 years old. I was very much aware of that when I got out of bed this morning and I had a few things pop and crack that I didn't know I had. When I found that one four-inch black hair growing at the side of my arm and I'm thinking, what is that? It's my Samson. And I'm going to... We are slowly wasting away. And it'd be easy to lose heart. I mean, maybe you've got physical ailments or a family member that you know is really struggling physically and you realize that our bodies, these temporary things, are wasting away. And it would be very easy to lose heart in that. But Paul begins that sentence with, therefore, we do not lose heart. Anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, it's usually connecting to the passage above. So what are we not losing heart about? Paul says in 14, because we know that the one who's raised the Lord Jesus will raise us. In other words, saying we don't lose heart because we know that the God that we've placed our trust and our hope and our faith in is renewing us from the inside. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. That trusting in Jesus Christ is a spiritual restoration to prepare us for eternity in heaven. 
And that all of a sudden the outward wasting away of this life isn't so dreary or tragic filled because we have this inward hope that says, God, I know this is not the end. I mean, my dad, I mentioned this before, died when I was 23 years old. And at the time I had one suit. And in that one suit I kept my program for my dad's funeral for like eight years Not to remind me that my dad was dead. I woke up every single day with that reality. But to remind me that my God was eternal. And that's essentially what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, this body of ours, this life, we are wasting away. And it would be easy to lose hope. But if you put your faith and trust into Jesus Christ, we recognize that he is renewing us from the inside out. It's why we can go to Africa and spend time with people who are starving to death, literally malnourished and dying, and realize that those that are believers, that have faith in Jesus Christ, are looking forward to this great anticipation to eternal life. Because they recognize that their bodies, though dying, their souls are being fed. And it will stop you in your tracks when you have that conversation with a person like that. So Paul goes on to say this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. I love this coming from Paul, light and momentary troubles. The guy that's been shipwrecked, beaten, put in prison, nearly killed like 14 times, flogged almost to death. He says these light and momentary troubles. He looks at this world with a perspective that says... Jesus is everything. These hardships, these imprisonments, these abuses, these beatings, these shipwrecks, these nearly starving to death, these things are just light and momentary. They're going to pass because I'm waiting for an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So what's your perspective on life? Are you living in a way that is anticipating this eternal glory? That says these light and momentary troubles, they're going to pass. My eternal glory is what I'm waiting for. So Paul wraps it all up by saying this. So we fix our eyes not on what is unseen, but on what, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And for me, the idea of faith all boils down to this thought. And that is focus. What are our eyes locked on? What do we put our faith or trust, our pistio into? Paul says we fix or adhere or set our eyes on not what is seen, on the things around us, the temporary, the material, this body. But we fix our eyes, we set our eyes, we adhere our eyes to what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary. It's only here for a moment. But it's what's unseen that's eternal. See, the question about faith is really one about focus. What are you adhered to with your life? What have you placed your vision upon? Is it really on the things of God? The fact that God is working and renewing in your life and in your heart day by day? Or is it a panic mode driven by fear of all the things that are happening and crushing and pressing on your life from a worldly, physical standpoint? See, faith is first and foremost about salvation. It's about saying, Jesus, I trust you with my life. Right here, right now, I trust you with my eternal destiny. 
And that faith, that trust that you are, causes me to think differently. It's not idle. It actually challenges me to not focus on the things I can see, but on the things I can't see. It causes me to live in such a way that I see beyond the visible. And maybe for some of us this morning, we have to refocus our pistol, our faith, onto and into where it belongs. To say, God, these light and momentary troubles, I'm waiting on an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I place my trust, belief, and faith, the same word, in you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here in this place. <clears throat> we thank you that, God, this is a, uh, faith is a true response to your absolute love for us. Father, I pray that you would challenge us as we walk out these doors to think differently about our own lives and what we fix and adhere and set our eyes to. The faith is first and foremost from a biblical sense about salvation, and it never is idle. It always is causing us to live differently. That if we place our true faith or belief in you, our response to the world is really different. We don't fix our eyes on the things that are seen, but instead we fix them on what is unseen. So God, we don't lose heart. Because God, we know that you are at work. God, we want to celebrate this truth, this great, um, great biblical truth. As we celebrate that you are the God that we have placed our faith and belief into. Let's stand together and close our time in worship.